Hey, everybody. Welcome to the podcast. You're listening to the Happy Market Research Podcast. I'm Jamin Brazil, your host. Our guest today is George Carey, founder and CEO of The Family Room. Founded 29 years ago, The Family Room is a market intelligence company that helps brands connect emotion to brand relevance and growth. 15 years ago, The Family Room launched a global longitudinal tracker with a proprietary framework called Passion Points. This data is used by top brands, including Nike, HBO, YouTube, McDonald's, Lego, and Disney. Prior to starting The Family Room, George was a senior vice president at Saatchi and Saatchi Advertising. George, welcome to the show. Thanks, Jamin. I'm happy to be here. The Michigan State University's Master of Science in Marketing Research Program delivers the number one ranked insights and analytics degree in three formats, full-time on campus, full-time online, and part-time online. New for 2022, if you can't commit to their full degree program, simply begin with one of their three core certifications, Insights Design or Insights Analysis. In addition to the certification, all the courses you complete will build towards your graduation. If you're looking to achieve your full potential, check out MSNMU's program at broad.msu.edu slash marketing. Again, broad.msu.edu slash marketing. HubUX is a research operations platform for private panel management, qualitative automation, including video audition questions, and surveys. For a limited time, user seats are free. If you'd like to learn more or create your own account, visit hubux.com. It's a huge honor to have you here. I've gotten a fair amount of exposure to Passion Points. I'm excited about talking about that topic, but I wanted to provide a little bit of context for our audience. Everybody knows that emotion is really important. In fact, it has never been more important for brands to connect to consumers at an emotional level, right? It, we've kind of moved away from the commodity framework and more to the emotional framework, which is an interesting transition. How are brands doing this? You know, Jamin, I, I think it falls into a number of different approaches. Different brands and different categories are, are trying to find emotional connections in different ways. Um, one, one approach is to kind of, I refer to as kind of put your finger to the wind a little bit. You start with a hunch and work backwards from there. So you might have a hunch that Gen Z are really all about, you know, the, the environment. And so you will kind of work backwards from there uh, into a campaign or a product or some content that speaks to that. And the trouble with that is, you know, you, you may be onto a hunch which really isn't held by the broad population that you're after. Um, another approach is to start with a social cause. I think people often kind of uh, conflate the idea of emotion and social purpose and work backwards from there. And there's lots of people who are doing lots of work in the kind of social causes as a way to create more strong emotional connections with their consumer. And then there's a few people that start with a human and work backwards from there. And, and to me, that's where the, the real uh, sweet spot of this emotional marketing comes from. You know, people are people first. They aren't... Um, kind of consumers first. And so to the extent that you can find a, a genuine human truth, which is true and authentic beyond any category or any brand connection, and work from there back to what works with your brand, that tends to be the most successful. Are there brands that you've identified or see that have done this really, really well? And if so, can you think of a specific example? 
Yeah, well, there, there's any number of brands that have kind of aligned themselves with a social cause. You know, I, I think climate change and sustainability is probably the most frequent one. And and frankly, it's, it's the one which to me often sounds the most tin or the most hollow because I'm not exactly sure what many of these brands have to do with climate change. So without naming any names, that tends to be one of the, the problematic areas. Now, then, then there's brands that have more of a natural, authentic connection to, to one of these emotional triggers for kids or for adults or for teens, for that matter. Crayola, for example, has taken a huge stand in promoting kid creativity. Now, you know, that makes sense. <laughs> Crayola stands for creativity. It's always been about creativity. And so for them to sort of be a champion of creativity and the emotional connection between creative self-expression is a perfect one. And, and of course, our friends at Nike, who often get cited in, in these kinds of podcasts, are also brilliant at this. You know, their whole connection um, with this whole idea of agency and personal advocacy and not being pushed around by the authorities and having the courage to make sacrifices for your beliefs. You know, that's very much a part of their brand DNA. That's very much a part of the emotional connection they have with with, uh, consumers. And beginning with Colin Kaepernick and working back to the future, you know, they've done a brilliant job of bringing that alive in a very authentic fashion. It's interesting you brought up Crayola. I just did an interview with a black professional and she was talking to me about her identity this was relative to DEI and growing up she had crayolas just like most people didn't do in the US she would draw her family not using the black crayon but using the brown crayon and because of that she self-identified this is a woman now in her 50s until very recently identified herself as brown which is you know speaks to the power of brand at connecting to consumers and then how that consumer then connects to the world at large. That's exactly right, Jamin. I, I, I refer to like emotion done right as goosebump marketing. And, and by that, I mean, it's when you sort of on those rare occasions where you have nailed like an emotional imperative at a human level for your consumer audience. And you have connected in an authentic, you know, completely honest way back to your brand. It's like when those stars align, goosebumps <laughs> tend to sort of be provoked in the, in the, in the consumer audience. And suddenly your brand, your brand becomes something you must have. That's so funny. I've never, and that's, a, it is interesting how, I mean, this is a really nice segue into my next question, which is around passion points. But before we do that, it's, it's interesting how you like your culture, it sounds like is, and your views, right, which is culture uh, of the world is really framed around an emotional experience. And like you said, goosebumps when literally when she talked to me about that Crayola framing, I literally got goosebumps <laughs> at yeah. that moment, right? And that was, yeah, the, that was a really good test. I mean, if you don't guess goosebumps when like you see a concept that is meant to be an emotionally evocative, there's something wrong there. Either the cause isn't really a a genuine emotional imperative, or there's not the kind of real authentic connection to your brand. So at The Family Room, you've created a tracking tool that measures consumer emotions towards brands, products, services, and categories. I'd really like you to talk to us about that framework. Yeah. I mean, it it began with our, our just fundamental belief kind of philosophically that as much as we would like to convince ourselves that we as people are these rational, empirical, logical individuals who make decisions based on good sound reasons. We are absolutely not. You know, nothing could be further from the truth. Uh, we, we have these emotional impulses that sort of emanate from deep within us. They tend to be the triggers of our choices. And once we have them, 
we then look for rational reasons to support them. It's not the other way around. You know, our belief is that feelings come first, that you feel things before you do things. And it seemed to us that if we could create a, a data set that turned that whole notion of human emotion and these emotional triggers into concrete data rather than kind of a supposition or qualitatively defined hypotheses or, you know, worse, then that would be a really good service to um, the, the marketing and the content community. So, so that's what passion points are. In, in its simplest form, passion points quantify human emotion. And, and, and we look at these passion points through three different lenses. At a human level, we just measure on a quarterly basis among 80,000 consumers around 11 markets around the world, the, which of the 80 emotional priors that we track are most and least relevant to that given audience at any given time. We just on a quarterly basis, we've been asking the exact same passion point priorities for the last five years. And so we can now measure over time exactly how the wobbles in our world, and there have been plenty of wobbles in the world lately, how those are impacting who we are as people, as humans. The, the second lens is to apply those human priorities to, into categories. We track 11 different categories. And from that, we can see the emotional jobs that kids or teens or young adults or parents expect of any one of these categories to perform. So this is not looking at the world of, say, gaming or restaurants through the traditional lens of category drivers. It's much more at a human level. You know, what is it that I expect for you to do me as a person, do for me as a person? And then the third lens is for subscribers of this research, we also put in your brands. And if you'd like us to, your competitive brands. And at that point, we have this beautiful red thread that connects the dots from a bona fide certified human priority to an emotional job of your category, to a legitimate emotional asset of your brand. And you put those three things together in great content or marketing, and guess what you get, Jamin? Goosebumps. <laughs> so you, I know you do work with McDonald's or they're a subscriber, and I'm happy to be a big fan of McDonald's as a brand. I've been a consumer my whole life. And still to this day, there was, gosh, pre-pandemic, they started this like two for whatever breakfast sandwich thing in the mornings. And it happened to be this remarkable deal for like $3. And it was just such a materially better deal than any other menu options. And so, so I was buying this thing over time. And then I attended this conference where I actually got to hear the VP of insights give a presentation on the exact topic of how they had decided to partner with their customers, right? Their constituents so that they could offer the best financial deal for basically calorie to dollar for them, but in a highlight way, right? So it's not like yeah. across the menu is specific to individual package deals. So it is really interesting to me how like a brand is rethinking that whole paradigm and how they yeah. are, you know, it's not about extraction from the consumer. It's more about enablement or value that or partnership that they're getting with the consumer. Yeah, that's right, Jim. And, and they've, they've gone on beyond that to, to use our work to, to help them on a couple of other fronts. You know, one is, as you certainly are aware, is the use of their celebrity meals. You know, they've gone out and they've gotten various influencers to sort of say, this is my meal. This is what I like to have at, at McDonald's. And suddenly they have now imbued, you know, the same old quarter pounder <laughs> with the emotional cachet of some of these incredible influencers in the world. And that seems to have done amazing things for their business. Yeah. And um, there's really oh, sorry, nobody else. Sorry, as we kind of fanboy McDonald's a little bit more, I have two young children, a five and a six-year-old. You would never guess what their favorite meal is. Tell me. Happy meal. 
<laughs> right? <laughs> it's still like even me growing up and for them today, like that is because there's this like emotional reward. It's the free gift at the bottom of the Cheerio or the bottom of the box, a uh, cereal box, right? That is the big motivator there. It's not the cereal. It's the reward part of that. Yeah. Yeah. But then we, you know, we can also help them look forward. I mean, one of the things that we track is, is a group of passion points that speak to uh, our, our desire to engage in the world, to sort of get out of our shell and sort of go out in the world and have fun and spontaneity and surprises and connection versus our need for shelter, psychic shelter. And by that, I mean staying close and safe and in the home and around familiar people. And we can track exactly how, say, teenagers or young adults, for example, are, are trending on that. Are, are they in a, in a shelter mindset or an engaged mindset? And that has huge implications for McDonald's because if you're in a shelter mindset, that's drive-through. I'm going to be buying my food through the drive-through. I'm not coming in your restaurant. And if I'm in an engaged mindset, that's, hey, let me come out. Let me get into your restaurant with my friends. So understanding that the reality that most young adults are still completely in a sheltering mindset and going up more by the day, be, you know, being away from the pandemic has not made us you know, any more inclined to sort of re-engage with the world because other things have replaced it as, as fear points for young adults. That has huge implications on how McDonald's plans to invest their money and their marketing based on drive-through dining versus in-store dining. Yeah, versus app too, which works both ways. Exactly, exactly. So can you talk to me a little bit about the construct of passion points? Like how, is it a derived variable or is it like a stated variable? It's, it's stated variables. We, we began with, um, with, with Maslow. You know, we, we, we wanted to sort of root this in a pretty respected and well-established model of human behavior and decision-making. And, and that's one that everyone can get their head around. You know, that Maslow was very clear about you know, the, the hierarchy of human needs and, and that each needs to be filled before they can move on to the other. So we began with, with five categories of, of human emotion based on Maslow's model. And then we populated that with a number of individual expressions of that. And these are the passion points. These are these emotional priorities. So for each one of Maslow's hierarchical needs, we have about between five and 20 passion points. So we have this really nice contemporary expression of a very well-respected academic theory. And then we sort of do through it through survey-based research. It's almost all done through a mobile platform. We ask uh, respondents to sort of tell us which of these are most and least important or most and least connected to a brand or category every quarter, again, for the last five years. So we're able to look all the way back you know, to that sort of simple, innocent time before the pandemic uh, in 2018 and, and quarter by quarter, period by period, see exactly how these unchanging survey items, these passion points are shifting. And, and, and one of the things that you quickly realize, Jamin, as, as you do this, is that generational marketing is kind of a thing of the past in the sense of it does not take 20 years for people's values to change you know, it, it used to have, we had this notion that, yeah, you know, over 10 years, 20 years, the notion that the very core essence of childhood or teenhood, things might shift there. That is not the case any longer. These human values, these emotional priorities shift quarter to quarter. You know, I, I can only imagine what the U.S. data is going to look like in our next wave when we have that the school shootings in Texas is a part of our cultural ecosystem. It is going yeah. to come completely change this whole idea of shelter versus engage. And that in turn is going to change the kinds of snacks, the kinds of restaurants, the kind of toys, the kind of games. 
that these young people want to play. It, what's interesting from a longitudinal perspective, a lot of companies, they threw away their old trackers. In fact, I, I did, gosh, maybe 200 interviews, 50 of which were with major brands through the pandemic, right for that 18 month period. The thing that stood out to me was the old way of doing tracking was useless. Like for example, they were thinking about like set top box, uh, or rather TV viewership has completely changed and they hadn't accounted for that in their trackers materially to, uh, streaming services. Now this is just a little carve out, right? But then once the pandemic hit, they realized, wow, our trackers are so disconnected from the actual consumer and their day to day right. life that we've got to yeah. basically all of the stuff that we, the 20 or 30 or 50 years of content, their data that we've collected is no longer valuable because it, the normative data set just doesn't have a comparative point in, exactly. in the pandemic. And, and yep. what is interesting about passion points is you have a pre during and post point of view. Correct. Yep. That's, that, yeah, that, that's exactly right. I mean, you could begin doing this kind of research today if you wanted to, and you would see that 35% of teens think climate change is a huge emotional priority for them. But like, so, well, okay, is that big number or small number? <laughs> right. Is that like, is that, should I be paying attention to that? Or is that like insignificant? Yeah. Yeah, so it, it's, it's through that movement that you can really begin to see kind of the, the cultural zeitgeist. You know, and the comparative against your normative database is, is, is the value, right? I mean, to your yeah. point, it's it's like a balance sheet, a financial balance sheet. It's are we doing better or worse, right? Are we doing good or bad? Yeah. And you can't yeah. answer that question in the silo of a single project. It has to have, it has to have that performance over time. Yeah, and, but the, the, you're exactly right, Shaman. And and the thing that I think makes it, you know, not to beat the, our drum a little too loudly, but you know, there's lots of data out there. But most of that data measures two things: behaviors and transactions. How often did you watch this show? Right. What time did you watch this show? How much did you spend? That's really important data. Uh, but it's all about the behavioral what. And, and what our data tries to sort of fill in is the emotional why. But, but behind most data is a transaction or a behavior. Behind our data is a human being expressing in their simplest possible way what's really sacredly important to me. And so ours is a, a really nice kind of yin to the yan of behavioral data that gives you the emotional why. You've given us a few examples so far. I, I feel like it would be useful if you could end on maybe one more example. If you need to sanitize or redact the brand, that's fine. But did you have any like moments of surprise of what consumers were stating in the last few years? Yeah, I mean, there, there have been some, uh, to me, some really remarkable things. And, and, and some of it's been good news, I have to say. It's been hopeful news. There's so much sadness <laughs> as you look at kind of, and you read about the emotional stress and the anxiety um, that, that people are under right now. But a, a couple of, of just super quick things that I, I've been surprised by and, and given hope by. The first one is a trend which we have, have named multicultural melding. And, and by that, I mean, out of all the terrible things that came out of the pandemic, and God knows the list is a very long one, perhaps one of the bright spots is that through the shared suffering that everybody went through, it didn't matter whether you were rich or poor, Christian or Muslim, and importantly, Black, White, Hispanic, or Asian, everybody suffered. Everybody lost something. And it was through that shared sort of experience that the emotional values across these multicultural segments came much, much closer together. 
if if you look at the you know the human values of say t- you know Gen Z multicultural Gen Z before the pandemic, they were very d- disparate, very far apart. Today, much closer together. And and, and if you're a, a a brand or a property trying to find more inclusive content or inclusive brands, this has a huge impact. Because it's not so hard anymore. If you know what these shared human values are, you can become much more inclusive much more quickly. So that's one surprise. And then the other one is is there's been some really remarkable changes in gender roles through the pandemic. You know, one of the things that we've seen over the last four years is that girls, and by girls, I mean Gen Alpha girls, are absolutely done being pleasers. Yeah, they, 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 I've got two daughters, so I can speak with some authority on this from my sample of two. But girls used to be very focused on doing things to, that got them praise and love from the outside world. And they are done with that. You know, gr- girls' interest in making my parents proud went from a number three emotional priority to number 32 over the course of the pandemic. Whereas guys, you know, boys, Gen Alpha boys, there's this really interesting movement towards what we call the softer side of boys. They become much more sensitive, much more spiritual, much more interested in creative self-expression, much less interested in winning and domination. So anyway, you, you never know what the world's going to throw at you and you never know how it's going to change. But you know, this data gives us some, some insight we didn't have before. I have one last question for you. What is your personal motto? Well, I've used it once before, but I'll just go ahead and restate it. Feelings come first. That's my motto. We feel things before we do things. And the more that brands and media properties can begin to orient themselves in that way, to start with the human and work backwards from there, the more relevant and I suspect commercially successful they'll be. Our guest today has been George Carey, founder and CEO of The Family Room. George, thank you very much for joining me on the Happy Market Research Podcast. It's been great, Jamie. I'll see you soon. Everyone else, if you found value in this episode, and I believe that you did, I certainly did, and I've only done 400 plus of these, I hope you will screen capture and share this on social media. If you tag myself or George, I will send you a t-shirt. How about that? Also, you can find contact information for George and the family room in the show notes. I hope you have a great rest of your day. 